Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377. We're going to be talking about freedom this morning on the 4th of July weekend uh, that we are able to celebrate, and we're going to look at a couple different passages. We're going to start in John chapter 8. Uh, if you've been with us for the past several weeks, you'll know that we've been studying in the book of Ruth, and we finished that up last week. Next week, we're going to launch into a whole new series uh, talking about encountering the Holy One, and we're going to be looking at different encounters that people have with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Hebrew Bible, and so we're going to look at people like I think Pastor Tom is going to be looking at Joshua next week. I'm hoping to look, God willing, at Jacob in wrestling at the Jabbok River. Uh, maybe some other fun stories from the books of Samuel and Kings and, and these experiences, encounters that people have with God and then how they inform our lives today. Um, but So this is kind of a standalone talking about freedom and it's an appropriate time for us to talk about freedom. And Mark, I really appreciated your prayer for our nation because um, even as we are grateful to be in the land uh, that, we, that we live in, um, it's an incredible blessing. We recognize that, that we as a nation are not perfect, and we recognize as believers that our hope is not ultimately in, um, in programs and in politicians. Our hope is in the power of God. That's where all hope comes from. And when I was a kid, one of the first albums, uh, kids, an album is like a, it's like, this was a CD, if I want to get specific. This is like an ancient uh, Spotify, if you will, right? Um, we, w- one of the first albums I received on a Christmas was, a, was an album by Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of my favorite guitar players and musicians. And at the beginning of one of the songs on this classic album with the long hair, if you know, what I, if you know him, you know, he had the long hair, he had long hair back then. Um, he has a quote by Chuck Colson. And he's talking about in the song, where's the hope, where's the peace that will make this life complete? But as they begin this song, he quotes Chuck Colson, or he has actually Chuck Colson's voice saying this. Chuck Colson says at the beginning of that song, I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things that we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country and that's where our hope is in life. And so as we take a moment this week to celebrate the gift of the United States of America, to celebrate Independence Day, Always remember and keep in frame that even as we celebrate the amazing gift of being born and living in this country, we have an incredible gift that goes far beyond that because hope doesn't come from what you do in terms of politics. It comes from the power of God living in and through his people. And we always have to keep that in mind because when we get things out of whack, when we misunderstand freedom, we misunderstand the broader definition of freedom, we can misplace our priorities. It's pretty easy to do for all of us. And so um, as we begin, 
we'll talk about freedom here. And we have a lot of modern definitions of freedom. Freedom may mean like doing what you want. Freedom may be, uh, it, it, freedom's always in relationship to something. So like when I graduated high school, I was like, I am free, no more homework. And then I went to college and then I got homework, right? Um, when, when I started driving, you know, I passed my driver's test. I remember the very first solo road trip I took. And it was up to just north of Columbus, Ohio in my dad's 1994 Honda Accord. I had my water bottle. I had my snacks. I had my Rand McNally map. Anybody know what? Okay, you guys don't even know what that is anymore. I had this big map to make sure I got there, but I had the keys, and I was ready to go, and I had a two and a half hour drive, and I could take this route or that route. Really, I took the route that people suggested I take so I didn't get lost. But, but, but I had a sense of freedom. You, you might uh, launch into like vacation this week and you go, oh, one week of freedom. Freedom in another context, though, can look a little bit different. Um, Chuck Colson, who I quoted just a minute ago, you may know his name. Uh, he was indicted and served some time uh, for some of the Watergate scandal. He was a part of the Nixon administration, a pretty powerful individual who ended up going to jail, who goes and he finds Jesus. He meets, he doesn't find Jesus, Jesus finds him. Uh, he, he goes and he meets the Lord Jesus while in jail. He becomes a follower of Jesus, commits his life to serving the Lord, begins a ministry called Prison Fellowship Ministry that goes and serves people who are incarcerated and teaches them that, hey, you may be behind bars, you may be in chains, but you can actually have freedom. Freedom that goes beyond this day, that goes beyond this day and age. And so freedom is always found in relationship to something. And whether you're experiencing freedom through uh, something small or something large, uh, know this, that we have the greatest message of freedom that the world has ever seen. And it comes through Jesus. And so we're going to read uh, through John chapter 8. We're going to go into Romans chapter 6. And then we're going to finish off in Galatians chapter 5. Because what I want to talk about today is what is freedom? Why does it matter? How do we experience it? And what do we do with it? Right? If we have freedom, so what? What is the purpose of having freedom? So John chapter 8, you can remain seated as we read. Um, and I want to read to you from John chapter 8, beginning in verses, um, beginning in verse 30. So, verse 30 of John chapter 8 says this. As he, this is Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because of my word is not welcome among you. Because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. Therefore, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father's Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. 
we weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Whew, it gets a little tense in that conversation, I would imagine. Uh, Lord, would you help us to understand these words of what it means to be free and get an understanding of what Jesus is teaching his hearers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, I dropped you into the middle of a conversation. Uh, for the sake of time, I did that. Um, here's what's going on. In chapter 8, verses 30 and 31, it says, notice in verse 30, as he's saying these things, many believed in him, right? So, so there's people who believe in him, and in verses 33 and following, it's almost as if he's actually addressing the wider crowd there, because there's a whole crowd of people, uh, some of whom have believed in him, and others of them who are here, um, hearing his voice and gathering for his teaching. It, in the Gospel of John, one of the helpful clues that John gives us in the end of the Gospel is he actually gives us a, here's why I have written this book. Uh, at the end of John's Gospel, he says, here's why I've written this book. I've written this book that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you might have life in his name. So Jesus is communicating and John is communicating through the work of the Holy Spirit as he's writing this gospel narrative down. He wants you to know, believe in Jesus and that by believing you can have life in his name. Jesus is all about life. And he comes and he has different conversations throughout the Gospel of John with people. You might think back to John chapter 3 where he meets a religious person, a very high, a highfalutin religious, religious person, right? He, he meets a Pharisee whose name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him at night and Jesus says, you need to be born again. And he goes, what are you even talking about? And Jesus says, you are the religious teacher of Israel and you have no idea what I'm talking about. And he's like, Nicodemus is like, how can a man be born again? And Jesus says, you can't be born again on this earth. You have to be born again from above. So there's this whole conversation of what does it mean to have life and to be born again that happens in John chapter 3. Uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well, a, a woman of ill repute, a woman who comes in the middle of the day in order to draw her water, which means she probably doesn't have great communication and great relationships with the women of that town because they would normally come to draw water in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. So she's coming in the middle of the day. Jesus engages her in a conversation, and she learns that not only is this guy a prophet, not only does this guy know everything I ever did, he has water that will absolutely satisfy my thirst. In John chapter 7, we have an amazing story where at the, the, um, the driest day of the year, it's in the fall, it's part of the Sukkot festival, Jesus is at this festival in Jerusalem, and, and he says, it says there on the, on the driest day of the year, the year, Jesus says, 
whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever takes of me will have rivers of living water come out from within him. And right after that, shortly after that, he's having another conversation in the temple complex. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. And he's making all these big, big claims. Claims that ultimately get him not loved by the people. In in fact, if you go to the end of John chapter 8, it says at that, well, verse 58 is important for us. Jesus said to them, I assure you before Abraham was, I am. Right? At that, verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple complex. Why were they picking up stones? The key is found, and he's making these claims to deity. He is saying, I and the Father are one. I can give you life that you can't find anywhere else. And he's wanting to give that to him. But, but for, the, um, for the religious Jew of the time, they're saying, wait a second, you are calling yourself God. No one can make those claims. That's blasphemy. And so they look for stones to try and throw at him. And all this stuff is going on. And all in the middle of this, Jesus is wanting to impart to them a message. You can be free. You can have life. You can find purpose and meaning in me. And he's making this claim uh, in John chapter 8, before the part that I read with you. In John chapter 8, look with me back just here uh, for a moment into verse 21. This is right after he's done the whole light of the world thing. Jesus says to them again, he says to, the get, to them again, if, or he says, I'm going away, you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, he will kill him. He won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, Jesus told them. I am from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Some of your translations might say, I am he. What is happening here is he is taking a a phrase from the Hebrew scriptures and he's saying, I am. Ego me is the Greek. And, And he's saying, I am one with God. Like, when I speak, I speak on behalf of God. And they're going, hang on a second. And some of them, it tells us here that there are some who follow him, who believe what he says and trust that they are true. And so he says to those who believe, and this is the part that we read in verse 30, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue my word, you are my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's happening in this whole context is the people are talking about what what does it mean to be a son of Abraham? What does it mean to find my lineage uh, secure because of whose kid I am? And Jesus is saying, hang on a second, you have a much bigger problem. This isn't about your your birth line, this is about your spiritual condition before God. And and for all of these Jewish people, they are loved by God. God came to bring them redemption, but he's saying you have to find your redemption not in your ethnic identity, not in the tribe in which you came from, not in the good works that you think you can do. You can only find your life, your freedom in me. And he says that this freedom is tied to truth. You will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. 
it's interesting. Uh, there's a couple of different things that are called truth in John's gospel. One of them is um, God's word. In John 17, I think it's verse 7, uh, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, Lord, sanct- Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. But it's not the only thing. Um, it's representative of all who God is. But Jesus makes this claim in John chapter 14, which says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so when he says, um, that they will be, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. What he's talking about is he's talking about the truth of who he is, the truth of what he came to do. And he's having to a little bit, in, in, in a little bit, try to zero them out because they're thinking maybe freedom comes from not having the boot of Rome on us. Or maybe they're thinking that freedom comes from the, the tribe in which we belong to uh, by being the chosen people. And Jesus is saying, hey, all those things, those things aren't bad, but you're not going to find freedom there. The only way you're going to find freedom is if you know the truth because it's the truth, i.e. it's me and my proclamation and my message and what I'm going to do for you that sets you free. And so when we talk about freedom, Jesus is greatly expanding this understanding of what it means to be free. A couple of words for you uh, today. The word free, uh, it's used a couple different times in a couple different ways, uh, but this is the idea of the word eleutheros. It means pertaining to being free. This is the general sense. This is kind of the root of the word. Pertaining to being free socially and politically, to being free from control or obligation, to be independent or not bound. That, that's one way that you, dis- that you would define the most basic understanding of the word free or freedom, right? But there's another way that Jesus uses this. When he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he's using this in what is called a causative sense. Notice what it says, and the truth will set you free. It's something that, that you experience because of what someone has done. And this is the specific word here, is eleutheru. And to, it means to cause, or eleuthero, it means to cause someone to be freed from domination, to be free, or to be set free. And over and over, we're going to look at the instances of this word. There's a couple of them in our text. We've already read them here in John. There's a couple of them in Romans, and there's a couple of them in Galatians, where this is just um, ordered or, or brought back over and over that truth is something. Jesus is someone who sets people free, right? How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven. I spoke your name into the night. Like, like when we sing the lyrics to that song, we're being reminded that it's not because I, could, I, I couldn't set myself free. When we're talking about the, the bondage that is much greater than any political bondage or any family bondage or any other um, addiction bondage here in this world, when we're talking about this addiction, or not the addiction, when we're talking about this bondage to, to sin, you and I, we couldn't set ourselves free. And that's exactly why Jesus came. That they would know the truth the truth of who he was, the truth of what he would do, the truth of how what he would do through his death and resurrection and how that would bring them life, how that would set them free from sin and from death. And and so how are we set free? In this context, quite simply, Christ sets us free. He's told them, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so Jesus, again, is clarifying for them his identity as being one with God. 
And in a world which experienced profound spiritual and physical darkness, this whole light metaphor that's going on here is being used to describe how people could see what is true by looking at all the darkness around them. They go, wait a second, there's something different about the hope of this man, this God-man, Jesus the Messiah. There's something different about his life. There's something different about what he came to do. He came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, John 3, 17 says. And and so the people here are needing to see the issue of freedom at a much more fundamental level. As we come into verse 30, I'll show you one or two things and we'll go to um, the book of... um, the next book, Romans for us. Uh, but just really quickly, as he was saying these things, this is John eight thirty. 30. Uh, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set him free. Those words believed in him in verse 30 are one of John's unique phrases for genuine faith. Th- these are people who are, who are going, hey, hang on a second, I, I believe in what you're saying. And there's this whole conversation that goes on with Abraham. And he's even saying to them, you are not Abraham's sons. You are actually sons of the devil. And they're going, hang on a second. Why would you call us sons of the devil when we we actually have like birth records? We could show you how we go back to Abraham. And his point is, is they may be of physical lineage of Abraham, but spiritually they don't have the trust in God that Abraham had. In Genesis chapter um, 12, um, God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to get up and I want you to leave the place that you call home and I want you to go to the place where I'm going to tell you. And Abraham begins this journey by faith, believing that what God has said, God will do. He begins this journey of walking with God and his life is marked by this deep and abiding trust, even amidst his own foibles and his own mess ups. But he believed that God would do what God said he would do. And it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. Truth here, in believing in the truth, believing in what God has said and what God has done, is absolutely fundamental to experiencing freedom in our life. Jesus is telling these people, you can really be free. You can be set free from the bonds of sin And so we have to look a little bit at what does it mean to be set free from the bondage of sin. So quickly turn with me over to the book of Romans. Just a couple pages to your right. Um, This comes after the book of Acts. And land yourself, if you will, in Romans chapter 6. Where we see this um, idea of being free or being liberated pop up again in these verses. In Romans chapter 6, there's this whole conversation of, of what should we say, 6.1 says, should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Paul says, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so he's talking to believers here. He's talking to, what it, to them about what it means to have new life in Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying, should we continue walking in sin with who we are today. And Paul says, no, 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 no. And he wants to tell them what actually happened to them. He he wants them to understand, here's what happened when you became a follower of Jesus. Verse six, look with me, please. This is Romans six, verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, 
in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin's claims. What's he saying? He's saying that the only way to no longer be under the power of sin is to die to your old way of living, to die to what sometimes is called the old man in Adam. And that's one of the reasons of the, uh, of the metaphor, the imagery of baptism. Because in baptism, we often will say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in a newness of life. Because something fundamentally happens when we become followers of Jesus. We become new people. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. And he's... he's He's saying a very similar thing here. He says in verse 8 of Romans 6, he says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him, for in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in light of the fact he lives, he lives to God. And we have this great verse in verse 11. So you too consider yourselves, or reckon yourselves, or, or credit yourselves, Dead to sin, but alive to God. He's saying, if you're in Christ, you need to think about your life in a whole new way. Because if you're in Christ, the old person is gone. You are no longer under the power of sin. It has no claim on you because you have died to it so that you can live for God. And, and we have to think about this in a very judicial way. He says, you know, reckon or, or credit yourselves. He, he wants you to know, this is what I have to know that Christ has applied to my life. He considers me holy, righteous, set apart for his purposes because of our trust in his death and in his resurrection. Because our old person has died, sin no longer has a claim on you. No longer has a claim on me. Now, you can continue in the action of sin, like you can choose to sin in the verb, but it does not change who you fundamentally are. And Paul is saying, should we keep going in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Why would we do sin when we have been set free from the power of sin? That's what he's, that's what he's gearing to here. I want to get to, let's see here. He says, therefore, this is verse 12, do not let sin reign, meaning that, that there's a choice there. Do not let sin reign. D don't, don't let it be something that rules your life. Make the choice to live in light of who you are. Don't let sin reign in, in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer, again, a choice of any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because it doesn't have any power. Because you are not under law, but you are under grace. He goes then into verse 15. What should we say then? Should, should we sin? Should we go in, in the practice of the sin? The verb here, this is a verb in this verse. Um, should we sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? And he says, absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that to whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedient, obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God 
that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. And you've been liberated from sin and you've become enslaved to righteousness. Here's what happens. You and I, before we became believers in Jesus, before we trusted his death and his resurrection, we were enslaved to sin. We, we had no motive, we had no power to really do anything righteous, frankly, because we, we were under a different master. God is saying here, you are no longer under that master if you've come underneath my son. If you've come under the perfect blood of Jesus Christ that covers and cleanses you from all sin, you are no longer under that master. You actually now have a new master for whom you live, for whom you walk, for whom you find your life. You have been liberated from sin and you've become enslaved to righteousness. If you jump down to verse 20 here. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now you have, since you have been liberated from sin and you've become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification. The end is eternal life. And this glorious verse, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So when he talks about freedom here, he's saying you are no longer bound to your old master. You are actually freed to now live for God. You're freed from sin's power. You're freed from having to walk in the practice of sin. You can now choose, you know, right? Shall we sin? Where is it? The choice verb? Um, yeah, therefore do not let Sin reign in your mortal body. Don't obey its desires. Why? Because it's not your master. Be obedient to your master. Follow your master. Draw strength, draw hope, draw power from your master, the Lord Jesus. There's another verse I want to look at here, um, and that's in Galatians chapter 5 that talks about freedom. All right, so we've, we were once slaves of sin. You're free from allegiance to righteousness. Now you've been liberated from sin. You've become enslaved to God. Go to Galatians chapter 5. This idea of liberation, which comes from Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 22, since you have been liberated from sin and become enslaved to God, comes its way into the conversation in Galatians chapter 5 as well. Galatians chapter 5 says this, Christ has liberated us, right? Completed action, something that's been done. Christ has liberated us to be free, right? He has set us free. In other words, you could translate this way. Christ has set us free in order that we would be free, right? He, he's, he's building on this idea of liberation, this idea of freedom. Christ has liberated us. He has done something for you and for me. Why? So that we can be free. So what does freedom mean. He says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now in the context of Galatians chapter 5, and one of the big things going on in Galatians is that there's been people who have snuck in. They've said, you know, you can be justified by grace, but now you, go, you have to maintain your salvation. <laughs> you have to keep doing all the right things in order to make sure that you are found righteous and holy before God. He's saying here, you've been set free, period, end of story. But he says then to them, stand firm then, don't submit yourselves to a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go back to a way of thinking that what you do defines who you are. 
So what do we do with freedom, right? It is freedom here for us to do whatever we want. No. <laughs> freedom is God's gift to us. I mean, in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, God looks at you as a son or a daughter. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can change that. But here's the amazing thing. As he calls you and I into being a son and daughter, he says, I don't want you to walk in the way that you used to walk. Why? Because there is a purpose for your freedom. And your freedom's purpose is to serve. He says, verse 2, take note. I, Paul, tell you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. Again, I testify that every man who gets himself circumcised, that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. He's talking about here in verse... Um, uh, verse 4 makes it very, very plain for us. Verse 3 does too. Um, people uh, who would come back, um, Jewish people, who perhaps, or Gentiles, who would come into the family of faith would be pressured by what, what are called the, the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. The word is eudosmos in Greek. Um, and it's these Judaizers who say, don't you know you have to do this, and this is part of your justification. And verses three and four make that clear. You know, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised, you're, you're obligated to obey the whole law, you who are trying to be justified by the law. In other words, they're trying to be set right by the law. And th the problem is, is they can't be set right by the law. No one could be set right by the law. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The, the law came, and the law is holy, and it's righteous and good. And one of the things that it says in Romans, it says that, that the law points us to our sin. Like, like it, it, through demonstrating holiness and righteousness, shows us how far we've missed the mark. But we couldn't save ourselves. The Jewish people couldn't save themselves. It's impossible to do enough good works of righteousness in order to save yourself, right? That is not saying, and Paul would say this in other places, that for a Jewish person, a Jewish male, to get circumcised, that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It just, as it pertains to justification, it has no bearing on the conversation. And there's people here saying, don't you know, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be really justified before God. Paul is making a, a statement here that in Christ, I love verse 6, in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith, faith in the Messiah, faith in the work of God working its way through love. He says in verse 7, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from the one who called you. A little yeast leavens a whole lump of dough. I have confidence in the Lord that you will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wished those who are disturbing you might also get themselves castrated. Just some light words for people who are telling them that, that they need to <laughs> conform themselves to, to a law for justification. But verse 13, for you were called to be free. You were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
but serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. What does all this have to do with freedom? Freedom, or the state of being free, is something for which God purposed humanity. He, he purposed us to be able to go, oh, I can rest, right? One of, the, one of the things of freedom, I don't know if you've ever known someone maybe it's you, maybe someone in your family who has gone behind bars for some degree of time. Um, I have a, a family member of mine who's now with the Lord who served five years in federal penitentiary in Florida. And um, to, to talk with them before they went in, to talk with them when they get out, it was a very different person. Now, he's a follower of Jesus. Um, he did some things that were wrong. He paid his time, but, but to look at how bondage constricts a person, whether it's behind bars, whether it's with an ankle monitor, or some other means, you go, wow, what does it mean to be free? For him, freedom would have looked like, after he got out of prison, he was on like a house uh, arrest for a while, freedom would have looked like, I can walk out front of my door, alarm is not going to go off, I can walk down to get my mail. <laughs> I can go to the grocery store. I can go to church. Can you, can you imagine that? We lived so many years, each one of us, we've lived so many years in our past, for those of us who are in Christ, being held by this bondage of sin. Where the power of sin was absolutely crushing upon our souls. But God designed us for freedom. I, I, I think of my family member, just what it would have been like to walk out and go, oh, I'm free. When Paul says, consider yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin, it means that in light of sin's power in your life, here's what you can do. You can go, oh, I am free from the power of sin. I'm free of its hold on me. The death and the resurrection of Jesus declare that if you're in Christ, you're free. You are free indeed, which means you can stand before God and you can go, oh, because he looks on you as his son or his daughter. But why then do we have freedom and what do we then use freedom for? A lot of times I think in our Western idea of freedom, we look at freedom and we say, what will I be able to do with my freedom? How will I use it to serve me? How will I use it to advance my family or my cause? And in talking about the same word freedom here, Paul says, you were called to be free. You were called to stand before God and go, oh, the power of sin is no longer present in my life. And even more than that, now I have the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in a whole new way. But he says, you're called to be free, brothers, but don't use this freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. In other words, don't use freedom to satisfy your own needs apart from Jesus. 
Don't use this freedom in Christ to promote you. Don't use this freedom so that you become great. He says, use this freedom to serve. And when Jesus talks about service, he knows what it means to serve. Because when he comes to celebrate the Passover with his disciples in just a few chapters later than what we read in John, he grabs a towel and he grabs a basin. And everybody's going, what are you doing? Don't you know that's for the servant? And Jesus says, I need to give you a lesson. The one who serves is the one who takes the knee. The one who serves is the one who says, I care about you and I want to invest in you and I want to serve you and I want you to know that you can be free. I want you to know that you don't have to continue to run the rat race of the Christian life that if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed and with freedom you can go. You don't have to prove yourself to God. All you have to do is come to Him. You don't have to make yourself righteous because you couldn't. All you have to do is be reminded that if you're in Christ, you're made the righteousness of God. But then our lives also become about a very different task. In a world and in the context in which every, not everyone, in which many people aim to get ahead we are called to be people to say, hey, can I, can I tell you how you can find life? <laughs> can I tell you how you can really experience freedom from the seven hour, or from the seven day work week? Can I, can I tell you how you can experience freedom behind a jail cell? Can I tell you how you can experience freedom as you're raising kids at home? Can I tell you how you can experience freedom and experience victory and power for your life in a difficult school or job situation. <laughs> Our opportunity to serve, because that's why we've been set free. You've been called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire manner of our lives as followers of Jesus with respect to freedom takes on a whole new picture. You have been set free in order to serve, my friends. You have been set free for the purpose of loving other people and showing them what it means that Christ has made it possible for you to be set free. You've been set free from the power of sin. We can choose to still walk in sin. We can choose to still engage in sin. It will never lead to life. It will never lead to joy. It will never lead to hope. But see, God creates this path of freedom, freedom from sin, so that we might give up our own willpower, our own plan, our own strategy, because he wants to give us life in his son that only he can give so that we can serve other people in his power. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Your freedom has a purpose to serve one another. And I want you to just frame that as you go to celebrate freedom this week. Um, as you go to celebrate the 4th of July, whatever you get to do, 
celebrate in, in and amidst to all those amazing celebrations of the amazing country and amazing land that God has placed us in. Remember that there's a greater freedom that you, that you carry as a banner in your life. The freedom that comes in Christ and the power that comes to live for him through his strength. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. And even this morning as we've spent a few, time, uh, spent a few minutes thinking about the idea of freedom, God, I pray that you would help us to better understand, amidst my feeble words, <laughs> help us to better understand what it means that Christ has set us free. That we have a new way of living, that we have a new purpose for living, and God, that we can rest today, even if we're working really hard, even if we're studying very faithfully, God, even if we find ourselves in less than desirable locations and situations in our life, pray that we would learn today and, and experience today that, that we can do all these things from a position of freedom, a position of rest, a position of trust in a God who has set us free. And Lord, even as we head to celebrate communion here as we finish our time together, would you remind us of the great cost that Christ bore that we might attain and experience and walk in this freedom? May we respond this morning, God, to you and to your grace, your power that gives us um, your presence that gives us power for everyday living. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hi, friends. Welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal himself to us in his word. Thanks for stopping by.